Well, this morning we are continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we started this passage last week. We didn't get all the way through it, but uh, Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 29. So I encourage you to find your Bible, pull it out, find Hebrews 11, and um, let's read this together. Let's stand together in honor of the Word. Hebrews 11, beginning of verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin." Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry ground. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your awesome revelation of yourself in your word. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed to us that you are absolutely trustworthy And Lord, we ask you would help us to be people of faith as we see these of the Old Testament trusting you, trusting you even when they could not understand how things were going to uh, come about. They fully trusted you and were people. Lord, we pray that you would help us people of faith as well. And Lord, that you would uh, challenge our hearts by your word this morning. Lord, that you would... um, Uh, Help us to understand what you have revealed to us by your Spirit. And Lord, that we would be ready to respond uh, with faith. And not only that, but we also would uh, be ready to be submissive to your Lordship in our lives. And uh, Lord, that we would turn every area, every aspect of our lives over to you. That we might be faithful as your people. So, Lord, again, this morning as we worship, we pray to be pleasing in your sight and that you would use these things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faith can be defined in a number of different ways. We have seen the book of Hebrews define it as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The great theologian Augustine once said, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of that faith is to see what we believe. Of course, Augustine was speaking of genuine biblical faith, not the generic kind of faith that our world speaks of. His understanding of faith was not some sort of name-it-and-claim-it hocus-pocus, where there is the idea that you can create your own reality 
by believing something into existence. No, he understood that genuine biblical faith is fully trusting God when you cannot see how his promises can possibly come to pass. This is faith in God, not faith in faith. And we have seen how genuine biblical faith can be demonstrated in a number of different ways. It can be demonstrated through proper worship. It can be demonstrated through walking with God. It can be demonstrated through obedience to God. It can be demonstrated through believing God in the midst of testing and trials can be demonstrated through believing God at the point of one's death. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. That kind of faith is ultimately demonstrated at the point of one's death. But in our present passage, we see that faith can also be demonstrated through decision-making. In a very real way, we could say that our life really consists of the decisions that we make. Our lives, as you know, are made up of a series of decisions. And many of those decisions are simple and unimportant, but some of them are very significant. And most of our decisions we really many times make without even thinking about them, but there are those major decisions that we think about for a long, long time. And here in Hebrews eleven twenty three through 29, we see an example of good decision-making. We see Moses making the right decisions and doing that by faith. His decision-making was right because his faith in God was strong. His unwavering faith in God led him to the monumental decisions that he made that not only radically changed his own life, but also changed the course of a nation. So let's move back into this passage of Scripture this morning. We got about halfway through it last time, but we need to go back and finish it up today. We're taking this in three main divisions. The vision of faith, the values of faith, and the victory of faith. And we'll add a couple of sub-points along with that. But let's quickly review what we talked about last week. We began with the vision of of faith. So look with me again at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This first aspect of Moses' life was really more the faith of his parents, but we know that That faith was passed down to Moses. Herschel Hobbes calls this the faith of daring love. Moses' parents feared God more than they feared the king of Egypt. And as I'm sure you know, the Egyptian pharaoh was becoming concerned by 
how large the population of the Israelites had grown at this time. And so he commanded all the Hebrews to throw their baby boys into the Nile River. And of course, the assumption is that if they did not do that, they themselves would be put to death. But Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, were not afraid of this edict. They saw there was something special about this baby boy, and so they hid him for three months. And of course, when they could no longer hide him, they made a waterproof basket for him, and they placed him in the river, as you know, later to be found by Pharaoh's daughter, and ultimately raised in the palace by Pharaoh's daughter. And we looked at all this last time. But the point here is that Moses' parents did not give in to the pressures of their day. Even at the threat of their lives, they chose to do things God's way and to obey the Lord's commands. They chose to live by faith and to trust God instead of conforming to the demands of the world. They were not afraid to risk their own lives to save the life of their son. So they disregarded the king's command and they violated human authority because they believed in a higher authority, the authority of Almighty God. They believed God and by faith they witnessed the amazing protection of Moses. I mean, from a human perspective, they really had no way that to know that his life would even be spared, much less that he would end up becoming the deliverer of Israel. But they trusted him to God. They lived by faith. Secondly, we saw the values of faith. In verses 24 to 27, we see the values that Moses exhibited in his later life. Most of this is communicated here from the negative perspective uh, in the sense of what he later rejected. But in order to say yes to God's will, he had to first say no to some very enticing things. And not only did Moses' parents demonstrate faith in God, Moses himself did as well. And what we see in this is that genuine biblical faith rejects four aspects of worldliness. Four aspects of worldliness. And we didn't get all the way through, but we saw a couple of those last time. The first thing we saw was that it rejects worldly prestige. Look with me again at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now the phrase, as we pointed out last time, the phrase when he had grown up means when he was fully grown. And according to Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, he was about 40 years old at this time. So for 40 years, Moses had been a prince in Egypt, which was the wealthiest, most cultured and advanced society in that day and time. So there was no doubt that Moses had become highly educated, cultured, and skilled there as part of the royal court. But he came to a point where he had to make a critical decision. 
His decision, as you know, was to reject all the prestige of Egypt in order to identify with the people of God. And we're told he did this by faith. The deciding factor was his faith in God. After all these years, his early training kicked in and he made the right decision. The word for refused in Hebrews 11.24 means he took a definite position. There was a line in the sand, as it were, and Moses decided to cross that line. So he made a willful and deliberate choice to renounce his status as a prince in Egypt and to publicly identify himself with the suffering people of God. Now we learn from the rest of this passage that Moses had an eternal perspective that guided his decision-making. He saw God's kingdom and his purposes as that which is eternal. Therefore, it was far superior to the power and the prestige of Egypt. The eyes of faith can see that there is something much greater than the prestige and the fame of this world. Genuine believers know that the prestige of this world is really nothing in comparison to the eternal glory that awaits those who faithfully follow Christ. But secondly, we saw it rejects worldly pleasures. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The eyes of faith can see through the emptiness and deception of the passing pleasures of sin and embrace even ill treatment with the people of God. Faith sees beyond the temporal to the eternal. Faith sees beyond the deceptive nature of the passing pleasures of sin and embraces that which will last forever. And we spent a lot of time on this one last week, so I won't go back over all that. But let's go on now to a third thing that faith rejects. It rejects worldly possessions. Worldly possessions. Look with me at verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward the treasures of Egypt were truly great indeed for Moses. Living in Pharaoh's palace, he would have had every possible luxury available in that day and time. If he had chosen to stay there, he never would have wanted for food, clothing, entertainment, wealth, or anything else that you can name. He had everything this world holds dear, but he did not cling to it. He gave it all up for something else. He was looking to the reward, not a reward, but the reward. And we would have to take this as heaven. He was wise enough to exchange the temporal for the eternal. But let's back up and look at Verse 26 in more detail for just a moment. The word considering there is a word that means 
to carefully think through. This was not a quick, impulsive decision, even though the killing of the Egyptian taskmaster might appear that way. Long before that day, he had been carefully weighing out his decision. He likely had gone over the pros and cons a number of times in his mind. He looked at what Egypt had to offer, and he looked at what God had to offer, and he compared the two. And ultimately, he reached the decision that what God had to offer was far superior to what he had in Egypt. And once he came to that conclusion, his decision was clear and solid in his mind and heart. In fact, he was so resolute about his decision that he was even willing to suffer reproach for the sake of the coming Christ than to continue to enjoy the treasures of Egypt. The word for reproach there means ridicule and persecution. God's people, as you know, were suffering under the Egyptian tyranny, but Moses decided to join them in their suffering. He decided he would rather have that and God's ultimate reward than to have everything that Egypt had to offer. Now, another way to put this is to say that Moses believed that even the worst he could endure for Christ was better than the best that the world could offer. Genuine biblical faith has a totally different value system. This value system makes no sense to unbelievers, but it makes perfect sense to believers. And of course, it is very interesting that the author of Hebrews speaks of Moses considering the reproaches of Christ more than 1,500 years before Christ came to this earth. But the word that is used there is the word Messiah. Moses must have known of God's promise to send the Messiah, the Anointed One, and it was on the basis of that promise that Moses responded in faith. In a very real way, Moses suffered for Christ's sake 1,500 years before Jesus was born as a babe in Bethlehem. He suffered reproach for the sake of Jesus, the true Messiah, because he identified with Messiah's people at this critical point in their history. George Guthrie says, Moses chose his biological family over his adoptive family at a great personal cost. Loss of wealth, relinquishment of status, and intense mistreatment. Oh, but please understand, his decision involved something far greater than merely choosing to side with his biological family. His decision involved choosing to side with the people of God. He chose the eternal reward of the true and living God over the passing temporary stuff of this world. I love the way Ron Phillips puts it. 
He says he chose an eternal position over temporary pleasure. He chose the imperishable riches of Christ over the wealth of this world. He looked ahead and he saw eternal glory. The tinsel and glitter of this world then looked cheap and tawdry from that point onward. And we, as people of faith, need to have the same kind of perspective. Like Moses, we should be singing that old song by George Beverly Shea, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands. Men and women of faith throughout history have had enough sense to weigh the short term against the long term, to choose the eternal over the temporal. God's eternal reward is always far superior to the treasures of this world, even if it means we have to suffer temporarily in order to obtain it. Paul put it this way in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's no comparison. The future glory of God's reward is far beyond any amount of suffering in this world. So it should not even be mentioned in comparison. Moses understood this. He had lived in the luxury of the Egyptian court for 40 years. It wasn't like he didn't know what he was talking about. He had experienced it firsthand. But he gave it all up by faith as being infinitely more valuable to have God's reward. And the question for us is, will we do the same? Will we see through the eyes of faith and understand the infinite reward of God as far greater than all the wealth of this world? Well, there's one more aspect of what faith rejects, and that is it rejects worldly pressures. Worldly pressures. Look with me at verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Of course, we know from Exodus 2.15 that the first time Moses left Egypt, he was fleeing from Pharaoh who wanted to kill him for slaying the Egyptian taskmaster. The second time he left Egypt, there was a different Pharaoh who wanted to prevent him from taking the people of God out of Egypt. Now, I think verse 27 fits this second time better than the first time. And the point is, he did not buckle under the pressure that was put on him to back down. When Moses was leading the people out of Egypt, there was tremendous pressure, not only from Pharaoh, but also even from his own people. And it would have been easy for him to just give up and give in. 
But he endured and he did not give in to the pressure that was put on him. He chose not to give in to fear. He chose not to fear the wrath of the king. And even though Egypt had the most advanced army of that day with chariots and horses, etc., he chose to trust the unseen God. In the same way, you and I have many things to fear in our day and time. We may fear the rejection of men, sometimes including our own families. We may fear literal persecution, perhaps the loss of a job or a reputation. For some Christians in other parts of the world, there might even be physical suffering and the loss of life, but it is always worth it. The pressure to conform may be enormous at times, but we must not fall to fear. And by the way, there are some who cannot even handle the slightest bit of criticism. And it's interesting that the people we often fear the most are people we don't even respect. Many times they're not godly people who are doing the will of God. They are godless people who want us to conform to their sinful lifestyle. And it's amazing to me that many times it's these kinds of people we're trying to impress. But Moses, by faith, made the right choice. He chose not to fear the wrath of the king. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Moses understood this. There is no doubt that he was tempted to fear, but he did not. He had to stand before the most powerful man on the face of the planet in those days and say, let my people go. But he did not fear doing that. This took a lot of courage. He did not give in to the pressure. He chose to do the right thing no matter what it cost him. And he intentionally chose to leave Egypt in order to follow a better way. Now, we don't see this as clearly in the New American Standard, but the King James says he forsook Egypt. As John MacArthur explains, he did more than simply leave. He turned his back on Egypt and all that it represented. This is the faith of a deliberate choice. He left Egypt in such a way that he could never return. He burned all his bridges behind him. He renounced it permanently and decisively. And that is a picture for us of how we're to leave our old life and pursue a new life in Christ. In the New Testament, we see where Peter, James, and John left their nets to follow Christ, and we must do the same. We need to follow this example of biblical faith. Listen, my friend, there is absolutely nothing in this world that is worth hanging on to if it keeps you from following Christ. Jesus asked, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? 
Moses had eyes of faith that enabled him to see this. He was willing to forsake everything to follow Christ. He put his hand to the plow and did not look back. Why did he do that? Because he was able to see the one who is unseen. Of course, we know from the biblical account that Moses did, in fact, see a tangible representation of God in the burning bush. And he did see the mighty plagues of God upon the Egyptians, but ultimately he had to exercise faith in a God who is invisible. We have to do the same. Moses ultimately had to trust in God to not only deliver the people from Egypt initially, but to protect and to provide for them in the wilderness. The person of faith is one who is convinced that no matter what happens, God will always come through. This same heart was expressed by David later on who said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Faith in our great God enables us to reject the fear of men. It enables us to overcome the pressure of the world. It enables us to do what is right, no matter who or how many stand against us. But we need to move on. Not only do we see the vision of faith and the values of faith, but thirdly, we see the victory of faith. Now, some do not connect verses 28 and 29 to the previous passage, but these verses should be included as part of the victory of faith that Moses experienced. The victory of faith is illustrated in two ways here. First, as illustrated in the passing over. Look at verse 28. By faith, he, still referring to Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. And I'm sure most of you know what this relates to. In Exodus 11 and 12, we read about the tenth and final plague that God sent upon the Egyptians. It was the death of all the firstborn of Egypt carried out by the death angel. But God made provision for his own people through the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb and the spreading of that blood upon the doorposts of all the houses of the Israelites. And that, of course, became a clear picture of our salvation through the shed blood of Christ upon the cross. But the point here is that the people applied the blood by faith. Obviously, the blood itself had no power to stave off the death angel. But the sprinkling of the blood was an act of faith by which God provided protection for his people. And the people of Israel, including Moses, did not really fully understand the significance of what they were doing, but they knew this was what God commanded, and so they obeyed Him, and they trusted Him to protect their lives, which He did. 
And the salvation of God, as you know, always requires the shedding of blood. And in this, Moses accepted God's provision. And the application for us is that genuine faith always accepts God's way, no matter how strange or pointless it may seem to human understanding. The people may have felt a little silly smearing blood on their houses, but this was what God commanded, and so they did it. And when the death angel came, he passed over the homes where the blood was applied. And again, this is a great picture of our salvation through faith in Christ. When a believer accepts Jesus Christ by faith, he accepts God's one and only provision of salvation. This is God's way, and it is the only way. And to the world, it seems like there ought to be some other way, but it is God's only provision through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. And the world might think that good works is the way, but God's Word declares faith alone in Christ alone is the only way. The Israelites could have tried some other way to deal with the death angel, but only God's way could provide protection for them. And in the same way today, only God's means of salvation through the applied blood of Christ to the hearts of men and women through saving faith will result in salvation. But there's a second aspect of the victory of faith, and that is as illustrated in the passing through. Look with me at verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. You know the story. No sooner had the Israelites gotten out of Egypt and arrived at the Red Sea, then they turned around and they saw Pharaoh in hot pursuit with his armies. They were trapped with no way out. And we read about this in Exodus 14. Interestingly, the first reaction of the people was to lose heart and complain. Exodus 14.11 says, They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? They now were upset with Moses. They thought they were going to die. But Moses told them, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And you know what God did? He parted the waters of the Red Sea, and the people walked over on dry grounds. But think about the faith that it must have taken for the people to pass through the Red Sea. I mean, surely the waters were piled up on both sides. And it must have been extremely frightening for them to trust God in this. 
But they did. And again, they trusted God's provision and they did as he commanded. And because of that, they experienced God's deliverance. And as soon as the last Israelite was safely across, God caused the water to return and drown all the Egyptians. What is the lesson for us? Believe God and do things His way. When all we have is God's promise, that is enough. When we can't see the way through, we trust Him anyway. When our faith is tested and we can't see how God can bring something good out of our circumstances, we trust Him because He always does. And it's interesting how the New Testament describes Moses. In Acts 7.36, it says, This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Of course, we know it was God who performed the signs and wonders, but he did it through this man of faith. And what is our takeaway this morning? We, too, need to be people of faith. We, too, need to make the right decisions and take our stand with the people of God and fully trust Him and His promises. What about you this morning? Are you a person of faith? To begin with, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you been born again through faith in Christ? That's the starting place. But as people of God, as those of us who've already done that, are we demonstrating true biblical faith? Are we doing that on a daily basis? Are we trusting God? Because He is always trustworthy. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you would help us again to see what this chapter is trying to emphasize. Your word, <clears throat> that we are to be people of faith. And Lord, help us to learn from the example of Moses. Help us not to think that Moses was some unique person. He was a man just like we are. He was human just like we are. We too can trust you in the same ways. So help us to do that. And Lord, again, we pray if there's anyone in this place that's never received Christ as Lord and Savior, they will come to know you today. But Lord, for the rest of us, help us to be faithful. Help us to be people of faith in everyday decision-making, just as Moses was. Help us to know what to reject. Help us to have eternal values. And help us to do that by faith for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.